So I'm going to tell the story about Christ, Christ uh, in Easter. But first I want to say, do all you kids know this is who we're talking about today? This is Jesus. And he lived in a time when it was really dark. Like, the world was very dark. People were not very happy. So God said, I'm going to send someone down to remind everybody about finding God. And so he sent Jesus down. So this is going to be Jesus. So Jesus was born around, that's why we celebrate Christmas. That's Jesus' birth. And he came, he grew up, and he started teaching people. And he taught people things like, the kingdom of God is within you. And he also taught that if you feel light, if your eye is single and you feel light, your whole body will be filled with God's light. And another thing he said about children, he said, you have to have the heart of a little child if you want to get into heaven. So that's very important to remember for you. So this is about Easter. The end of his life is what we talk about now. So at the end of his life, a week before the end of his life, he went to Jerusalem. He went to the big city. He was riding a donkey, and all the people were happy to see him. They were cheering, and they were putting palm fronds in front of the donkey as he rode in. And his disciples were following him. Everyone was happy. Everybody was listening to him teach, and everybody was, was following him and loving him. And except there were some leaders of the church, and they were up in their buildings, and they were looking down, and they saw Jesus coming, and they said, everybody listens to him. Nobody's listening to us. And they started to make some plans. They waited till Jesus had left the city, and he was off with his disciples, just some friends, some, just a few people. And then they made their plans. And you know what they did? They sent soldiers and they captured him. And they brought him back to the city. And they went. And then they took his body and they wrapped his body in a cloth. And they took his body and stuck it in a cave. And they put a rock in front of the cave. And they said, that takes care of that. No more Jesus bringing his light to the world. We put his light out. And they thought they were done with him. Well, the disciples, they were afraid too because the mean people might do something bad to them. And so they were all in a room, hiding together. The door was locked. The windows were, shutters were closed. And they were hiding for a few days. And then Mary, who was one of the disciples, she said, I have to go see where he's buried. I have to go to that cave. And so Mary decided to go by herself. She was the bravest one. And she went by herself early one morning when it was dark out. And she went to the cave and she got there and the rock was gone. And she looked in the cave and she only saw the cloth. She didn't see Jesus. His body was gone. 
And she went, no, somebody took his body. And they, she ran back to her friends and she knocked on the door and she said, it's Mary, let me in, let me in. And so they opened the door and she said, he's gone. They took his body. And the, the men didn't believe her and they wanted to see for themselves. So they ran back and they went back to the cave and they just saw the cloth was there. And then they went back to their room. Except Mary stayed there. She stayed there and she was crying. She was crying. She was crying. And then all of a sudden, she felt this presence. She opened her eyes and next to the cloth, she saw two angels. And the angels said to her, why are you crying? And she said, because they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they put him. And then all of a sudden, she felt something. All of a sudden, at the door of the cave, she felt this presence. And she turned around, and there was a man standing there. Who do you think it was? Yeah, he was, but she didn't recognize him. She just saw this man. She thought he was a worker man or a gardener or something. And she said, he said to her, woman, why are you crying? And she, she went, because, because they took away his body. And I don't, if you took away his body, where did you put it? And he said, Mary. And he, she rubbed her eyes and she said, Master. And she almost touched his feet. And he said, don't touch me yet because I haven't gone back to my father in heaven. But go tell the others that soon I'm going back. So she went back to her room. It's Mary. I can't. They opened the door. She went in. She said, I found him. And they said, oh, good. You found his body? No, no, no. I saw him. And she told the whole story about how she saw the angels. And then she saw Jesus. And they were... They were amazed. And then later that night, when they were in their room and the door was closed, all of a sudden, guess who came? Jesus. And he said to them, peace be unto you. And he said, just as my father sent me into this dark time to share light, so I'm going to send you to share light. And then he blessed them all. He blessed them all. And then later, they left and they shared the light with all the world. So at Easter time, we try to always remember that you can never put out that light, the light of God, as long as we keep looking for it within. And that's the story of Easter. I think it was those same church officials who tried to snuff out the candle who had to translate it, suffer little children to come unto thee. I don't think Jesus was saying that. So we'll read today's reading from Rays of the One Light. This is resurrection for every soul. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. 
in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 20, we read the inspiring account of Jesus' resurrection. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord. Then that same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in their midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. The resurrection of Jesus, doubted by many, but affirmed by those who were close to him, was a miraculous event the one not unique in history. For many great saints of other religions have appeared to their disciples after death. Sometimes their appearances have been as that of Jesus's was, in flesh and blood form, and not only in vision. Paramahansa Yogananda relates in Autobiography of a Yogi the account of his guru, Sri Yukteswar's resurrection after his earthly passing. Miracles of this type are revealed only rarely to the masses, but accounts of them, related by men and women of reputed truthfulness, have inspired many devotees with faith in the reality of subtler-than-material states of existence. Resurrection, Yogananda explained, means transformation, ultimately from any lower state of being to a higher one. Worldly consciousness cannot imagine such transformation except in terms of perhaps an improvement in the present mess of pottage with the addition of a new flavoring. Divine consciousness, however, is capable of taking the base metal of worldliness and transforming it into the spiritual gold of divine wisdom and love. In keeping with this truth, the Bhagavad Gita in the ninth chapter tells us, Ah, ye who into this ill world are come, fleeting and false, set your faith fast on me, fix heart and thought on me, adore me, bring offerings to me, Make me protestations. Make me your supremest joy. And undivided unto my rest, your spirits shall be guided. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Once more, good morning. I'd like to start by reading the beautiful passage from Whispers from Eternity that Master wrote about Christ. This is, Come to me, O Christ, as the divine shepherd of souls. O Christ, thou rarest flower of hearts, thou didst sail the storm-tossed lake 
of prejudiced minds. Its evil-scented, gloomy thought waves lashed thy lily-tender soul. They crucified thee with their evil, yet didst thou shed on them the aroma of goodness and forgiveness and help them to be purified by remorse to make them attractively sweet-scented with thine all-loving soul flower. O thy great lover of all error-torn brothers, an unseen monument of the mightiest miracle of love was established in every heart when the magic of thy voice uttered, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Thou hast healed the cataract of hatred. We have now grown to see thy truth. Love thine enemies as thyself, for they are thy brothers, though sick and sleeping. Thou hast taught us not to increase their fevered blows of hatred with the bludgeons of revenge. Thine undying sympathy has inspired us to heal our brothers suffering in their delirium of anger with the soothing salve of divine forgiveness. Thy crucifixion reminds us of the daily crucifixion of our fortitude by trials, of our wisdom by ignorance, of our self-control by the scathing touch of temptation, and of our love by misunderstanding. Thy test on the cross proved the victory of divine wisdom over ignorance, of thy divine soul over flesh, of thy happiness over pain, of thy love over hatred. So are we heartened to bear our own crosses bravely and with faith. Teach us, when we are crucified by harshness, to pour out only sweetness, to bear with calmness the assaults of worry, and to give understanding unceasingly to those who unjustly hate us. O shepherd of souls, wandering hearts are seeking of themselves the one fold of divine devotion. We have heard the ever-calling music of thy infinite kindness. Our one desire is to find our home in thee, to receive the cosmic Father with the joyous open eyes of wisdom, and to know that all of us are sons of our own one God. Teach us to conquer the Satan of dividing selfishness, which prevents the gathering of all our brothers' souls into the one fold of spirit, calling to one another by the watchwords, Love him who loves you and love all who love you not. Let us rally beneath the canopy of the universal oneness of Christ. Om peace. Amen. Such a beautiful and timely message. You know, our master, Paramahansa Yogananda, loved Easter. He came to the West. Of course, he probably had never experienced it in India. But one of the first things he did when he established his headquarters 
in Los Angeles and Mount Washington, even before they had taken possession of the property, was they had an Easter sunrise service out on the lawn there. And he loved... Our master was a, a warrior for many lifetimes in the past. He has told us of incarnations. And he loved both the military spirit, but not in the sense that we think of it, but that force of willpower which breaks through darkness. And he loved the song that it's from the uh, American Civil War, the soldiers for the, uh, from the North, for the Union, would battle him of the Republic. And he would sing it, and there are recordings of him singing it. But he changed the words at the end. You know, the words are, as he, we, as he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free. This was the song of the soldiers who were fighting to overcome slavery. But he changed it. As he died to make men holy, let us live to make men free. And so he was trying to rouse us to say, let us live in that spirit that we give our lives to what we believe in. The other night, we had a wonderful, wonderful gift. And I want to, of hearing the oratorio, Swami Kriyananda's oratorio, Christ Lives in the Holy Land and in You. And our singers and soloists and musicians just did an ex- and conductors did an extraordinary job. And one woman, I felt it myself, and another woman in the audience said, it felt as though Christ were walking throughout the room, blessing everyone. It really was quite a gift. And Swami wrote that oratorio. If you haven't ever heard it, there are recordings of it. I think in time, honestly, it will become to be seen as great as Handel's Messiah. It's of that caliber. And... Swami wrote it, Swami Kriyananda, in the late, about, I think, 1986, is that correct? 84, okay. Uh, On a trip to the Holy Land, to Israel. And he went to all the places associated with Christ's life. And he said, like a spiritual archaeologist, he went beneath the vibrations of what was going on in the present, and he felt the vibration of what Christ and his disciples had experienced at that time. And he said each song was given to him. He didn't write it. He heard it. And uh, in the mid-1990s, Jyotish and I also had the privilege and blessing of leading a pilgrimage to the Holy Land and um, going to many of the places Swami had gone to and we would sing his songs at those places, and it was very powerful. But just as Swami tried to be a spiritual archaeologist, our experience, too, was that Christ and that story is so much alive. It isn't past history. It's present, and it's as though the scene of his life is a film that's constantly being played, but people don't see it. And it's constantly being played in our own hearts, but we don't feel it because our eyes are closed and our heart is closed. But when we went to Bethlehem, and some of you in the room were there on that trip with us, just the sweetness and the simplicity that this is where Christ was born. It, it's a remote little town, not near Jerusalem. And just 
such purity there. And you think, of course, that's where Christ would have been born. And then we went, I, I could tell many places, but I'll just touch a few of my favorites, the Sea of Galilee. Oh my goodness, that's where he he <clears throat> he met the disciples and there's the ruins of a city, Capernaum, where he drew many of them. And just as we sang the song, lift your hearts up to the Lord, tell the world that he is joy. You could feel that there. There was such joy and of as, as Tim held up the candle of Christ, the light of God was there, and those, those disciples knew that something extraordinary was happening. And then from the Sea of Galilee, you walk up this little trail path up to the Mount of Beatitudes. And we've shared this with you before, a profound experience there where we sang the Beatitudes. And And we heard people from all over the world who had gathered there repeating the Beatitudes in dozens and dozens of different languages. It was very profound. But then we come also to the end of Christ's life and the Mount of Olives where he rested before going into Jerusalem before Palm Sunday And just as in the song Palm Sunday, there are the undercurrents of sadness and tragedy about to happen. You could feel that on the Mount of Olives. You could feel that that's where Christ was. And he prayed, let this cup pass from me, which is so remarkable. You think, oh, well, he knew. He was on top of it. I got this one. No, he was, he was, he didn't necessarily want all that to happen as a human being. Let this God pass from me, but I will be done. And he asked the disciples, pray with me, stay awake with me. This is a difficult moment. And what happened? They fell asleep. Three, and, and he woke them and he said, pray with me. But they fell asleep. And he said, the spirit is willing the flesh is weak. It was for us, for us to say, even in that moment in Christ's life, those great souls couldn't be there for him. It's profound. One could just meditate on that alone. And then they took him. And the disciples started to pull out a sword to defend him. He said, no, this is what has to be. And then we walked on the Via Dolorosa where Christ carried the cross up to Golgotha where he was to be crucified. And it, the way of sorrow, Via Dolorosa. And it is the way of sorrow. You can feel that. It, it was hard to be there because you could, you could feel someone who was of that, who we loved, who was of that caliber, who did only good in the world. And look what they were doing to him. And he stopped, and he he stumbled, but he kept carrying the cross. And then there's the beautiful story of Victoria's veil, the woman who came and wiped the blood and sweat from his face with her scarf. And his face, the image of his face remained on her scarf. And then, but we need to understand that the story of Christ and of Easter is the story of the journey of every soul seeking God. 
Every one of us. That's our journey. We're born, and for those who have come in with spiritual karma, just as the angels and the wise men, the gurus came when Christ was born, we need to understand that if you are seeking higher truth, if you are seeking God, at your birth too, the angels were saying, oh, here comes one that wants to know God. And our gurus are saying, I'm going to have to draw her. She might wander off, but I'm still going to keep my eye on her. And at the moment when she's not looking, I'm going to pull her in. And so for all of us, that the birth is a celebration. And then what happens in the life of truth seekers? Then we live with our family for a while, but then there comes a moment, sooner or later, just as Christ was growing up with his family, but then one day he was gone. He was 12 or 13, and his mother and father were looking everywhere for him. And finally, they were in Jerusalem for the Passover, the Pesach, and they found him in the temple. And they said, what are you doing here? We were worried about you. And he said, don't you know I have to be about my father's business? And so for all of us, I know for me, nice family, growing up, good, kind, everything was fine. But at a certain point I said, I can't do this anymore. I have to go my own way. I have to find God in the way that is meaningful to me. I have to be about my father's business. And I think for all of us, family and friends, they say, what are you doing? You know, come back. And we say, no, no, I have to be about my father's business. And then what happens in Christ's life and in our life? Then we learn from the wise. Christ, and it's very well documented, went to India. And he spent many years there in Tibet and in India. And there are references to it. And he studied. He studied the mysteries of life, of yoga, of the higher teachings. And that's what we do. We go through a period where we learn from the wise. We get the training. We get the teaching. But then we come back. I'm sure he would have loved to have stayed in India, but it wasn't what his mission was. So he came back, and he began to serve others. And that's the story of our life, too. We get the training, but we can't keep it for ourselves. In whatever way we can, we have to share it. We have to serve others. And then, in that service, there comes the point in Christ's life and in the life of of all of us where the tests come. And we see them coming. And we say, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Because we know that unless we are able to surrender on the most profound levels of our being, we're not going to get where we want to go. We're not going to be able to feel the unity with God. And then I think it's more helpful to see the rest of the story through the eyes of the disciples. Because remember when on the Mount of Olives, and uh, it was Gethsemane, when Christ says to Peter, you will deny me three times. Lord, how can I deny you? And yet, 
They took away Christ. Peter followed. He was waiting outside the door. And one of the guards said, aren't you one of those that were with him? And he said, no, no. And he ran away. And we do that too, don't we? We're faced with tests. And we say, this is too hard. I'm afraid. I'm afraid if I have to give up everything. I think I'll run away and hide. And we do. We all do. More than three times. (laughs) Peter was lucky. He got away with three. But we all say, no. My own needs are more important. My own self-protection is more important. I can't open up that much. It's too painful. And we, we deny. We deny the Christ within us. We deny our own soul nature. And then we see that drama on the Via Dolorosa, and we see everything we love, we believe in, we cherish, we revere, we see it destroyed by the world, by hatred. And you know, we live in a time when this is happening, when all the beautiful values of world brotherhood and kindness and selflessness are being they're shifting. They're shifting. And it's not any person that's doing it. It's not about politics. It's about a transformation that's going on in the world right now. That people need, we need to look at that moment and just feel, the, honestly, feel the pain of what's going on. When we see higher values destroyed, when we feel our own withdrawal from what we can be. And we need to say, as the disciples did, then they regrouped. And they were together, hiding still. But in that remarkable moment, Jesus appears to them. And at first they're afraid. They think he's a ghost. They don't know what to believe. And he says... As, as Tim said, peace be unto you. And he, he said, touch me, touch me. And then, I love it, he even said, I, give me something to eat. And it says in the Bible, and they gave him broiled fish and bread. I mean, was he really hungry? I don't think so. I, <laughs> I think he was just saying, don't be afraid of me. It's still me, the one you've always known. Because if you can't accept that, you don't get the power of the resurrection. It's not something far away. It's that resurrection of in being able to accept the pain and then moving beyond the pain. They took him. He was destroyed. But he wasn't destroyed. And so in our own spiritual journey if we can't accept the pain of the tests that come to us and not run away from them, we can't know the resurrection of our own of the Christ within us. It's so beautiful. And then he said to them, Lo, I will be with you even until the end of time. This is God telling us that he's never going to leave us, even however dark it seems, if it seems he's destroyed. And 
So it's this incredible transformation and it gives us faith. That's the gift. Faith. There's a a light that no darkness can ever destroy and that light dwells within us. And it gives us the experience that whatever pain we go through, there's the transcendence. And if there's seeming death, there's still immortality. And so it's, it's a very eternal story, but it's a personal story. And if we can... And I, we'll go out and we'll have food and Easter bunnies and all that, but really, take some time today. This is what the oratorio gave me, to take time over the weekend to really feel the depth of the beauty and the pain and the transcendence. That's really what it is. But you have to feel it in yourself. And if you do, then you'll know Easter. And you'll know, you'll be able to go forward with whatever comes. And you'll be able to say, Christ lives within me.